Welcome to Savage Minds. I'm your host, Julian Vigo. Today's guest is Namakula, a multimedia artist raised in the suburbs by a quirky academic Ugandan father and a feisty Jamaican mother. After many years of developing her talent in New York City, her work runs the gamut from TV, film, commercials, theater, voiceover, music, and producing original work of her own and for other artists. She's the co-executive producer-narrator of the audio poetry collaboration The Feisty Beast. And you can catch her in episodes of NBC's New Amsterdam, The Blacklist, and Netflix's Inventing Anna. I welcome Namakula to Savage Minds. I came to know of you through your interview with Jimmy Dore, where I found out that you are yet another actor who was denied a livelihood because you refused to take these fake vaccines, what I call a faux vaccine or a folkcine. And mm -hmm. I think a lot of people have been fed the herd narrative. We've all been coming off of mass media, uh, basically legacy media, where we have Rachel Maddow screaming at people who don't get the vaccine. And people have been brainwashed and propagandized into believing that there was a one fits all model. And right. cases like yours and other actors, other artists went virtually uncovered by the media. So I was really happy. And I'm always happy to see Jimmy covering great stories like yours, because this is the kind of story that needs to be told. And if you could, for our audience, speak about what happened to you from the very beginning, because you had a blossoming career in theater and TV and film. And like many others, you were disenfranchised from your own profession. Right. Yeah. Well, I, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. And um, it's nice to hear that you were finding these other actors, because for me, I thought that when I moved, I'm in New York City and I thought New York City was, you know, a mecca for free thinkers and artists and all that stuff. But when this happened, it really highlighted how they're really it's really not like that at all. And I was really surprised how many people buckled so quickly. And for me, um, I. I'm never, I was never, outside of a childhood vaccine, I was never a big shot person. I don't get sick. I'm, I'm healthy. I, I run, I work out, I eat well. Um, I've never had the flu. So I'm not a flu shot person. And I'm reluctant to inject things in myself, period. So when this disease came out, when, when they, the first hints of it, when we saw that video of the man in China who dropped in the street, that was a big scare tactic. Everybody became frightened and there was very little information. Um, I had literally just booked something on the a TV show that got canceled. All these productions got shut down and then lockdowns. So where I live in, um, in, in New York City, it's a beautiful neighborhood, but I live alone. So I, I don't, I, I was pretty isolated because, you know, a lot of people were just basically either shut in their homes and I was not allowed after they started to, um, pressure the businesses to, um, well, let me jump, go back. So during the lockdowns, a lot of these um, businesses were afraid to be open. First they were open and then they were told, okay, you got to shut down by a certain hour, which never made sense to me. So as the narrative unfolded, a lot of things were not making sense. You know, they kept adding symptoms to this uh, disease. So now a sore throat, any little thing now was linked to COVID. And I felt like, okay, well, how is it that before, before 2020, you had a stomach virus and all of a sudden it's COVID. So there was a, definitely this fear mongering that was happening. And then, um, you know, I just started to think about, well, things that weren't making sense. And I started to 
explore outside of that. And I had one friend who sent me a link to one thing. And then before that, it, it lent to, uh, lent, it, it linked to other um, information, alternative um, media, independent journalists and other qualified doctors and microbiologists and epidemiologists that I was finding on my own that were renowned people that were accredited people. But all of a sudden those people were called crazy kooks and were conspiracy theorists. And we weren't supposed to listen to those people. The only people we're supposed to listen to was Fauci and basically mainstream media, which anytime you shut down any kind of um, civil debate or peer-reviewed studies, there's a problem there. So there are a lot of indicators that there was something going on that was nefarious. But I think people were so fear-mongered and also just so didn't want to be inconvenienced, they just would do whatever they were told to do just to get their lives back. But you cannot comply your way into, uh, you know, com comply your way out of tyranny. It just gets worse. So what I was finding was when I would find information, I would be sharing it with people and people were so reluctant. Many people were so reluctant to even look at it. They were just so convinced, okay, this is what I'm being told. This is correct. So it became very hard to even share information for people's minds to open. And that's when I really realized People, a lot of people in New York, you think they'd be open-minded, you think they'd be more critical thinkers, and there are more sheep than I realized. And it became very isolating because um, I was, I, I got to a point where I didn't know who I could talk to. And it was from there that I think social media really helped because I was able to follow some doctors and activists who were online. And when I would see maybe another person in my circle who also liked a same post, that's how I knew that we were you know, we were on the same page. So that's really how I started to find people. And um, then I had some friends already who I knew were, you know, I was close with where I would talk with them and they also were agreeing with me. I have a good friend of mine who um, is a former actor, but he now does natural medicine and he was on the West Coast. So I would have people that I would talk to that weren't necessarily in my close proximity. And at some point I organized a Zoom group for us all to talk so that we could at least have a support group and talk to each other about our experiences and share information. But it, it was really... um uh, a concerted effort to keep people in the dark, to keep people afraid, to keep people from talking to each other. Hence, you know, the lockdowns because they didn't want people to actually talk to each other and share anecdotal information. So even uh, a woman that I met at my gym just before we got kicked out of the gym, um, she was the one person who was at the gym where I basically fought not to wear a mask because they tried to make us do it in the beginning. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. So then they agreed, okay, we can wear these clear visors these plastic visors, which made no sense, but they agreed to it. So yeah. she and I were the only ones in the gym working out with these clear visors. So she and I started talking. Like a and dental then, hygienist. Yes, exactly. So she and I started talking and then she and I took it upon ourselves. This is when they started doing the mandates. We took it upon ourselves to go door to door to the small businesses in our community with flyers and information explaining to them mandates are not a law. You do not have to do this. And people were very grateful because they were all very afraid. They're afraid of their livelihood. They're afraid of their own health. They're afraid of their employees' um, health. And they were really, again, there was no alternative information. So all we did was we just sent, we gave them information about what the law really said. And um, people seemed grateful, but then as time went on, people buckled, people were harassed. There's a, a restaurant up by my house where it's family-owned Indian restaurant. There's an older matriarch who runs the place. And I sent her inf gave her information. She was so grateful. I came back a few weeks later, and she's near tears telling me that people are coming harassing her, de demanding to know like if she's screening people for vax cards. So they were really um, bullying people. So some of these businesses that really tried to not have that thing in the window, I think because they were ignorant of the law and they were afraid, they buckled to it. But 
you know, I tell you some of these people that did that, you know, one of the restaurants, they, they, after lockdowns were over, they opened for a week and had to close. It was a, a Greek diner in my neighborhood. They've been around for 28 years, family owned, had to close because they lost so much money. So it was really sad to see all this stuff that was happening. And it was very, like I said, very isolating because they made it seem like you're few and far between, but there were actually more of us than they want us to know about because the strength in numbers, obviously. Well, the media emphasize what people like Jay Patacharya call the pajama class. And these are Guardian, New York Times, Chicago Tribune readers. These are people who consider themselves leftists, mostly Democrats. I don't know about you, but I've had a rude awakening these last years because I never thought in my effing life that I would love people who'd voted for Trump because they had my back. And I tell people who are like, how can you have that person on the show? They're right wing. And I'm like, you know, between you and them, they didn't want me to starve to death. This is the problem. As we come down to basic Marxian economics here, do you believe that all people should be able to eat? Do you believe that all people should have a home? And Ironically, it was the right of center that was making those arguments. I have had, and I deal a lot with feminist issues. I have feminists on the left who say, well, Donald Trump. And I said, well, look, if you're going to go on about his pussy grabbing, he's not the only one. Biden has his own CV of pussy grabbing. So do most of them. And if you're going to go on about his hair or I'm not going to go into ad hominem because of someone's weight or personal appearance. No. Right. If you're going to go on about January 6th, Oh, I've written about it, but I said, you know, I've lived in countries where there were actual insurrections. That wasn't it. That was a pajama party. That was beach blanket bingo minus Frankie Avalon and Annette Funicello. We have allowed people like Rachel Maddow and Don Lemon and all these other crazies. They begin to look like Beck did. Remember after the, the war in Iraq started and you had all these crazy folks from Fox who were like screaming on the TV. They now look like the Fox News readers of 2003-45. And it's a weird thing because I talked to people even in Australia, New Zealand, who even were arrested for resisting these mandates and resisting oh, yeah. house arrest. And a lot of these, most of these people fighting for the, the good fight are on the right of center. So basically the pajama class were the people who were Democrat voters in the US. And they were the ones that would have you and I starve to death. And I have a real problem squaring that, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think that, I mean, there's a lot to unpack what you said, but I think that um, people have to realize that a lot of the, these people aren't reporters, first of all, they they read teleprompters, the teleprompter readers. So. They don't, a lot of them don't do their own investigative work at all. They just no. give in a script to read. So the idea that we have to listen to them, well, where are they getting their information from and who's feeding them and why are they all saying the same thing? It doesn't make any sense. And as far as that goes, I mean, you mentioned Iraq. I remember when, you know, Saddam Hussein and this war, weapons of mass destruction, I never believed that. I didn't have any concrete proof, but in my gut, I knew that it wasn't true and that there was another intention. Of course, it was to get the oil. And I remember being at uh, um, at my my old uh, my past life. I was a, a commercial editor. I used to edit TV commercials and stuff. And I was at the office, and they had on the TV supposedly the Iraqi people cheering and happy and tearing down the statue of Saddam Hussein. And I remember I walked out of the room because I was like, "This is propaganda. I don't believe this." And sure enough, fairly recently, I saw a program where they they admitted that they actually the people that were tearing down the statue were actually reporters, 
and they they cropped the sh- the shot so they looked like there were a lot of people. But if, you, if they showed the wide shot, it was just like a bunch of reporters clustered around this statue, tearing it down. But they wanted to make it look like the Iraqi people were really happy. So you see how manipulative, you know, media can be, and well, people's the bodies falling down in Wuhan. You referred to yes, that, right? Exactly. And we all saw that image, and we found out much later it wasn't what we were told it was. Yes. And then there were other videos that you would see that they would show. I mean, there would be like a hospital. And then you and and again, I love these independent researchers because they'd really dig in. They show like like a a local news program showing, oh, all the beds are full. And then you see one of the beds has a mannequin in it. And I'm thinking, if your hospital is so full, why do you need to have a mannequin in this news report to make it look like you've got a lot of sick people. And then you, you have people who are going to the hospitals themselves filming. There's a woman in England who went there and it was, and they were saying, Oh, the hospitals are full. And she went, took it upon herself to go. The hospital was completely empty. She filmed it, posted it online. And then the cops came to her house and arrested her. But what charge for filming an empty hospital? So there's a lot of intimidation when people are doing their own independent, you know, basically research to find out what is going on. And I'm not saying that people I'm not saying that all hospitals were empty, but there were there were some that were not as full as they were saying, or there were some that were completely empty. But they were pushing this this notion that all around the world everybody's dying, you've got to stay home, and there's no hope for you. The only the only hope for you is once this vaccine comes out, you have to inject yourself. But then you know you think about it. Okay, well, there's no information. You guys have not. Uh, vaccines what take 10 years usually at least for you know clinical trials and testing. They crank this thing out in like seven months. And then you unleash it on the population. And if anybody asked a question, you were called somehow selfish, um, conspiracy theorist. And then on top of that, um, a lot of the places when you go there, you couldn't. There's no informed consent because they give you. If you asked, there'd be an empty pamphlet basically with no information about what you're putting into your body. So how do you expect? Pe- so when people ask questions, you're accused of being somehow anti-patriotic and anti-human. But it's your right to know what you're putting into your body. And people have allergies. People, I mean, there's lots of re- – I mean, so people go to a restaurant. And you ask, what, what's in this? I have a peanut allergy. That's okay to do, but you're supposed to inject yourself with something that you know was not really tested properly and all the ferrets <laughs> died when they did do the testing. I mean, on yeah, coronavirus. Yeah. I mean, it's just crazy. No, but the whole thing is nuts because, as you mentioned, 10 to 12 years is the average for vaccine development. They not only rolled this out, but in order to have informed consent, you have to know what are the risks. Without testing, they couldn't actually allow for informed consent. And that's why the Nuremberg trials are so central to what has gone on here because people forget that informed consent grew out of them and i read them the other day on air for a completely different issue well it's related actually in many respects because uh the subject i work a lot on is the transgender lobby which has taken aim at children over the past uh, 15 years especially and when you have children uh, girls teens who have had double mastectomies at age 13. That's right. All because they like to run a plow or they like bowling or because they like Tonka toys. I, I, you know, the, the overt sexism of that movement is beyond belief, but the torture and abuse of young bodies and minds is unbelievable because the lobby has its claws in a very large cohort of largely lesbians in the UK the majority of those getting these interventions are female and the men 
do not. They tend to just identify as, well, sounds like sexism to me, right? Where the men do nothing and the women torture themselves. Well, and I mean, and then there's those cases where, I mean, this is just, it's so heartbreaking. I've seen a lot of the D-transistor stories. And when you find out some some of the stories where one woman who was saying, you know, my parents are going through a divorce, I felt isolated. And then, then I made friends online with these people who I thought were my friends, but they totally groomed her. And then, you know, but she didn't confide in anybody. So then she, her mind just got totally twisted around. And then she, you know, was convinced that maybe she was a boy. And then, you know, she was immediately put on hormone blockers and at age 16, double mastectomy. I mean, it's, and now she's trying to, you know, go back. And the doctor that did it to her kind of shrugged their shoulders and said, well, I don't know what to do for you. I mean, she's got all these aches and pains. She's got an Adam's apple. Um, Her breasts are gone. I mean, it's, you know, but she was 16 years old and, you know, the parents are also on some level indoctrinated where they're told, well, if you don't do this, your child's going to kill themselves. So, yeah, I agree. I feel like I, a lot of girls were tomboys growing up and thank God um, I wasn't, my parents weren't told that I should be changed into something else. I mean, it's, it's really, it's very sad because I think once you go on that track, a lot of the parents, it, they, they, they can't go back. Like they feel like, well, I've already done this. So they, they will it's a the hill they'll die on they'll believe they did the right thing even though you know i don't know how a doctor who's supposed to do no harm can take a a healthy child and remove their breast a child i mean i don't understand that and even if they're not a child a healthy person like if someone says hey i don't like my arm anymore will you cut off my arm they won't do that well they did in scotland until the medical authorities told that dr smith to stop doing it and the thing is is bdd amnotopia is has been rendered virtually non-operable in the sense of it's a diagnosis, but doctors are being told you cannot operate, right? And mm-hmm. obviously, if I'm anorexic and I go to my doctor, she's not going to say, you know what, you really are fat, lose 40 kilo, and I weigh 52, right? right. So we are not seeing similar treatments. And the reason why I refer to this is because during lockdown, first thing that came to mind is, Okay, this is awful, but maybe this will calm the anti-science bullshit of the transgender lobby because they say all kinds of crap that is so unscientific. You couldn't graduate high school with everything they say. Nothing. They don't believe sec- humans are sexually dimorphic. They believe that gender is somatic, but sex is psychological. I'm not joking. Um, they've basically catapulted everything that we know from the Enlightenment onward out into space. And they believe that, you've heard this, my personal truth, my personal journey, my true self, all this bullshit. Um, We have turned the autobiographical into science. Now, it's most perverse, but during lockdown, I thought, well, maybe finally this will stop because now we're facing an actual virus that can be seen, that can be, you know, people will be forced to talk about science. Well, as we know, that didn't happen. And so my next conclusion is, well, when you convince a population that sex is mutable, that humans have an umbrella of sexes, that's complete, again, nonsense, then you can convince people about anything else. Lockdown was easy. Once you convince people that sex is not real, lockdown becomes a no-brainer. Yeah, basically. I mean, it's it's a slowly, uh, you know, brainwashing um, of of masses. And uh, once that becomes a standard and people are afraid to point out this is illogical this is unscientific once people are silenced um once people are marginalized then it's a pretty dangerous place because because then anything goes 
And um, that seems to be where we're going. You know, you have people who one minute are considered credible experts. The next minute they are deplatformed and their bank accounts are, are frozen because they say something against a government narrative. I mean, I, I don't know how anybody cannot be disturbed by this. And the thing about it is I was starting to see a lot of interesting things happen. I, I um, had a friend of mine who I sent her a video doing lockdown and all the video was, was a couple on a plane with a two-year-old and the two-year-old you know, being a two-year-old didn't want to put the mask on. The parents were wearing the mask. The child did not want to, and the child kept, you know, pulling it off and they got kicked off the plane for that. And I sent her this video and I said, look at how outrageous this is. Why would they? And her response was, well, um, you know, kids model their parents and, and the kid wasn't wearing the mask. I said, well, so I, I thought it was crazy. I watched the video again. I, I'm like, no, the parents are wearing the mask. The kid just doesn't want to wear it. I mean, I don't, I, I can see why. And then she says, uh, well, kids, I think they, they, they look like Trump supporters. And I, I thought to myself, what does that have to do? My thing was, I don't care if these people are neo-Nazis. The whole point of the video was, this is illogical and irrational behavior. Why would you kick people off a plane? Because a child, I mean, and and her and I realized why she said they were Trump supporters because when they got kicked off and they you know they complied but they said to the attendant when they were you know th said they said look you know she's two years old and you know by the way this this disease has a ninety nine percent recovery rate so you know, the, the the husband was pointing out this is kind of crazy what's going on and um but I think that's what triggered her like well you know they're Trump supporters. I mean, that's when I realized they're turning this into a political thing. Why is it political to be concerned about your body? Like, so I, I I say that because I feel like people choosing to to um take this experimental gene therapeutic called a vaccine, people who didn't want to do it were called right wing extremists, white supremacist, uh, Trump supporters. And that's how you're labeled. I'm like, what is this? Why is this a political thing? Why can it be my bodily autonomy, my personal choice? And there are other, there are other treatments like, I don't know, fresh air, vitamin D3, vitamin C, um, being healthy. If you're convinced that this um, treatment works for you, then it works for you. Then why do I have to take it? Like, that's why the other thing didn't make sense to me because now they've, now they've morphed me medicine to mean, oh, well, the medicine only works if other people take it too. So now they have, a, now they have a right to be angry at people who don't take it because now they've been told that the only way your medicine works is, 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 is if everybody is taking it, which also makes no sense. So if you're saying this is a valid treatment, then it shouldn't matter who else takes it as long as you feel like it works and you take it. So the mandates, you know, and then the shaming of people and the ostracizing. I mean, I was I was not um, allowed to go to the funeral of a family friend who was like a second father to me because, you know, his daughter, who was a doctor, who was also indoctrinated and yelled at me when I said to her when we were talking. And also the thing is, early on, there was a lot of information that is hitting the mainstream now that was already out but was buried or people weren't paying attention. So from the beginning, these manufacturers said that this did not stop infection or transmission. I had read that numerous times. So that's why I was confused why every time you'd put on the news or something or hear a story, they would be saying safe and effective and you won't get – it'll stop you from getting COVID and keep you out of the hospital – and it was contradictory, contradictory to what I had been reading from the manufacturers. So when I talked to her about this, I said she was saying she was going to go get this this uh, quote vaccine, and I said, "Well, 
But if it doesn't stop infection or transmission, I don't, why would you even bother? And she yells at me. She says, well, it'll keep me out of the hospital. So when I saw how fearful she was, I realized she's a doctor and she's acting like this. So what is the general population? What chance do they have when they're being told these things by these medical professionals and they're they're believing them and they're not really paying attention to other information that literally is put out there? I mean, that's the thing when people the tv set and i haven't had a tv in years is very it's it's basically it's it's hypnotic and if you see somebody on tv people tend to believe them rather than maybe a human being that you know personally or some other person that or article you read so you you're on you see these people on tv and also the, the logic is well why would the politician lie to me why would the doctor lie to me they're wearing a lab coat they're on tv why would you know i, I think people's they don't think that you can't think logically in this way. You can't think like compassionately. You can't think how you would behave because these people are not you. They have an agenda. A lot of them are either ignorant and indoctrinated, paid off, compliant. I mean, there's a lot of different things going on because I don't believe all of them are pure evil and, and know what's going on. I think some of them are just puppets. And like I said, a lot of them are not journalists. So they, they get cushy salaries and they're paid to read a script in front of the TV. And they call themselves journalists and people put too much trust in them. So maybe this awakening will make people, because now all this information is coming out of the, about the myocarditis and all this crazy stuff. So, and this was, again, this information was there before the, the, um, the sterility. I mean, these were all these doctors who were deplatformed were talking about this. And now that it's hitting the mainstream, because I knew that they could not stop the anecdotal stories. You can't stop people from you can't stop somebody from having a cousin that gets injured or having, uh, you know, uh, somebody that has a bad reaction. If you know them personally or you have a friend of a friend, the media cannot censor that. So even though they shut down support groups for people that were injured and lost family members and Facebook block people and all these other things, you can't stop the human connection, which is what they were trying to do with the lockdowns to stop people from talking to each other. So I think that now that it's hitting the mainstream, people are waking up and they're they're being more discerning about who they're listening to and the information that they're getting and perhaps also listening more to their higher selves about what is your gut telling you? Does, does this sound right to you? Does this make sense to you? I know this professional is telling you this, but are they being truthful? Do you feel in your heart that this makes sense? I mean, I think it goes back to, we have an instinct for a reason and people have, again, gone against their instincts and done things because they were coerced and uh, or threatened with you know their livelihoods. But you have to take a stand, and that's what I did. I mean, I'm at a point where, you know, I um, was able to really make a, a career for myself. And in the last um, uh, four years, I acquired this great manager, and I was getting finally getting into those rooms to get those auditions, and I was booking TV stuff, and things were on a, a you know, basically a momentum was going. I had built new relationships with casting people that were calling me in for various things, and once this happened. It was locked down for everybody, but once things opened up and SAG implemented these mandates, which was not, which was unscientific, and also they're not a medical body; they can't make people. They can't. These are again; these were all mandates, and mandates aren't laws, but it creates a culture of well, they feel like they have to do it. So when SAG created the return to work agreement contract, which basically said that if you wanted to work in any of these productions, you had to be um, basically had one of these quote vaccines to work. And if you didn't, you wouldn't be allowed to, but they're not allowed to do that. So supposedly they would make exceptions if you had a medical exemption or a religious exemption. I don't know anybody that's 
been approved for that. So the idea that they were they were granting these um, accommodations, I don't think is true. But then on top of that, they were finding ways to to find out who was vaccinated and who wasn't. So, for example, during this time, I got some auditions. One of them said, OK, in the slate, say your name, city and vaccine status. And that's completely I mean, that's not legal to do that. I mean, you are discriminating against people because of their medical choices. And that was one way they were doing it. And then, of course, you were supposed to report any incidents to SAG. Sometimes you'd see a casting notice and it would say um, vaccine. Uh, you have to have a vaccine for this production, which, again, you're not allowed to do that. People were doing it. And I actually just spoke with a, an agency producer who's also very awake and she refused to, to comply and she had to work from home for a long time. Now that the agencies open up again, she said she was on a shoot. And this is after um, SAG finally uh, lifted these, um, supposedly lifted these mandates in May of this year. She said she was on a shoot and she saw on the casting list, they had the actors listed and they had their status listed, who was vaccinated, who wasn't vaccinated, who had boosters. So the idea that this has gone away because SAG has repealed the return to work agreement is not true. And I just saw a list of 35 productions because what's happened is they're grandfathered in. So any productions that existed before May of this year, they're still allowed to impose these mandates. So I just saw a 35 page list of all the productions that are basically their status. I would say 95 percent of them are still imp implementing this mandatory um, vaccine, uh, COVID-19 vaccine um, mandate. So when people say that, oh, it's lifted, now everybody can go back to work, that's not true. But now we're in a strike anyway. So no one's supposed to work now, unless you're a Hollywood celebrity and then they're granting them interim agreements, which is basically a waiver that says you can you can work. Uh, the rest of us aren't supposed to work. So it's pretty interesting what's going on. This is why I want to run for a New York local president, because there's such there's so many things going on with the union that are um, there's extreme corruption that's been going on for years. There's, you know, um, embezzlement of our funds, people getting these ridiculous salaries that don't justify their position. Um, and I, for a long time, was involved, you know, to a point I go to meetings and make suggestions. And But I think in the past few years, I've connected with other awake actors who also did not comply. And we've been supporting each other. And we decided that we were going to, this year, all run for seats in our cities, um, um, on the SAG board. So that's why I'm doing this. When I learned you were running for the SAG board, I was like, finally, because when the pandemic happened, the lockdowns happened, SAG actually supported lockdown, didn't it? And it supported all these measures. It didn't push back very much at all. No, they were in lockstep. And it makes you wonder who's being incentivized to do this. Because again, we were um, very active. We would email SAG and ask them, can you give us peer-reviewed studies that's um, fueling these mandates and because they only had two doctors that they were consulting with to justify you know pushing these mandates and one of them was a pediatrician so these two both are pushing the agenda of vaccines are the only way of vaccines so they didn't consult with any other doctors when we asked for we asked for peer-reviewed studies they literally sent responded to all of us we do not have that information so they basically were pushing that one narrative they were not interested in the science even though other professions were opening up. The, basically, the CDC did a complete reversal last August, saying that the vaccinated and unvaccinated were of the same status. And SAG still, in September, had a chance to drop the mandates. They extended them in light of all this new information. And that's when I spoke with the current New York president on the phone. I said, look, September's coming up. There's an opportunity to drop these mandates. What's going to happen? And he was basically still pushing the mandates, 
even though I mean, and he and he at the time didn't know he assumed that I was in lockstep like the rest of them. So I let him talk first and then I let him know, well, actually, I haven't taken any of these you know, products and I've been locked out of work. I'm, you know, barely surviving. Uh, you know, I have a mortgage and maintenance and all this other stuff that I've been paying on my own for many years. And now I've lost my health insurance. You know, he, he seems sympathetic, sympathetic, but it did not change his stance. And even though when I spoke to him and I pointed out, well, you know, they've already admitted that, you know, it doesn't stop infection or transmission. So why are these mandates being pushed? He'd never had an answer for me. It just seemed like he was programmed to just push these mandates. And sure enough, in September, they extended it. They extended it until, like I said, until this May. And like I pointed out, all these productions are grandfathered in who had these um, mandates in beforehand so they can still continue them. So even if there wasn't a strike, we would still all be locked out of work because there are so many of them that are still implementing them. Like I said, there was a 35-page document with all these productions and 95% of them all were still pushing these mandates. Um, mm. you know, mm. vaccine mandates. So it's pretty crazy. And, you know, I know that there are people who have fake cards. I refuse to do that because that in, in essence, you're complying with tyranny. I know that they're high powered people who have fake, you know, um, vac- uh, you know, do- have doctors that will basically say that they took this injection, but they didn't, but they, they continue to work. So uh, clearly they don't agree with it, but they don't want to speak out. And again, strength in numbers. I think there are more of us than them. And if people spoke up, because my thing is this, even if you believe that, well, I I did the right thing um, for me, that was my choice. And I have friends that have taken, you know, the vaccine and the boosters. That's your choice. But we've been given no choice. If we choose not to, we're locked out of work. So shouldn't everybody have freedom of choice and follow the science and have an opportunity to work and earn a living and, you know, live their dreams and you know spent years building their craft and all these and sacrifice and now we're lo- we're being locked out of work for two and a half years so that's why this strike going on it's for me and other people like me it's more of the same i mean it's not you know now people are, are freaking out because they're not working but that's what we've been dealing with for you know, a couple of years now so and we've had to make do you are in theater and film and this has been a massive theater what they produced for us all and it's interesting because a lot of people don't even realize it in the sense of i don't know if you saw terry gilliam's brazil but there was a leitmotif running through the film the leitmotif was a saying and it was a pr saying we're all in it together and that was used during lockdown yeah, we, we were given that. And I mm-hmm. said to people, I said, have you seen Brazil? You got to see Brazil because we're living Brazil. It was all so dystopian. Now we were also given the Andrew Cuomo show, that big freaking fraud. We were given the Fauci show. Well, it was like putting uh, Dracula in charge of a blood bank. I compare it to that. Exactly. This is the yeah. man who funded the laboratory where the virus was created. Okay. And then we've got the real frauds, other frauds like Hotz. He politicized and racialized it. And the reason why they love this, it's the same reason why the government loves people arguing over TWAW. We know that women don't have penises, but if you can get a large sector of the population arguing about that, they won't be looking at us as to why we have no housing, the roads suck, the bridges suck, everything's falling apart. They did that with lockdown. They got Hotz telling people not to protest anything, to stay inside, no protest, then BLM, go out and protest. Why? I believe this was all architecturally designed, like 
a sociological experiment of sorts. Yep. But they knew that getting people on the streets, I mean, who was affected by the protests? The people affected by the protests were largely African-American shop owners who lost their shop. I mean, this was the crazy part. And did CNN and MSNBC run those stories? No. Yeah, it was funny because, um, again, with the lockdowns, you know, I, I feel like there were, some of the positive things about it was it turned off a lot of the chatter, like being in New York City, for example, there's it's such a hustle and bustle kind of place. And for me, um, just constantly working and, you know, surviving and doing all these things when everything had shut down, it kind of there was like a calm that happened, like you could feel it. And I really felt like I was able to really kind of be more in my thoughts. I had been more um, I, I'd be I'd become more self reflective in the last in the years before and it was i wasn't um actively running around like i was like always going out to support people and doing different things and but running around i was doing more for myself being quite quiet so when i started to be more quiet i started to hear more clearly or think more clearly and i was noticing when i would see the the footage of these protests i remember thinking to myself Are this is this really about black lives matter or is it people just want to get out of the house you know what I mean? Like it just started to feel like something is not right. And I think in the beginning, I I I bought into the BLM, and then after a while, I was like, "This is another psyop." I don't really. And then, sure enough, now it's come out that it's all corrupt, and they make millions of dollars taken to build mansions and all these other things. And but um, it's it's been very interesting to see people's reaction. But what was also interesting to me was they kept pushing this narrative that um. Black people were most the most ones to be affected by this. We, you and I, were talking about this earlier the other day about how they were saying that black because black people, again, it's like a lot of the times when they say black, they, it's almost like used synonymous with poor people, and I have a big problem with that because they they never address class or economics. It's always race, right? And when they talk about black people, they seem to use, it seems to be this monolithic group that oh, you're all the same. So. Only black people are are mainly affected by this because typically, you know, there might be like five or ten people living in a two bedroom house, and because of the virus spreading. So I thought to myself, well, if you're talking about that, it's not about it's about economics. If you can only afford to to live in a two bedroom place and you've got you know six family members living there, that could affect anybody. Any anybody of any race could have that situation going on. So why are they trying to say that only mostly black people are affected by this? But it's it's very interesting that the, the it's 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 very interesting how the societies are just being broken down um, and and fighting amongst themselves while you know the money grabs going on right under our noses and our our autonomy is being taken away and they're trying to get everybody on a digital currency. I mean, it's just very in the food supply. I mean, there's so many things going on. It's like a juggling act to come to keep up with everything. It's crazy. There was censorship all around. There was censorship yeah. of the theories about the lab link okay i had someone on the show very early on who wrote a report on this because there were doctoral students from way back who hypothesized that there was a danger that a new variation of COVID could be created because of simply humans going to nearby caves and meddling with bats there's a barrier that we need to respect with certain types of wildlife and bats are one of them. Otherwise there are risks. And this was a report that was written and, and that had some legs to it and it was worth discussing. The fact that have we ever seen in our lives where you cannot have a debate, where social media was bumping people off, canceling their accounts, giving them 30 day suspensions, 24 hour suspensions, removing their posts. This happened. 
um, mandates were never laws. People didn't know their rights. And my friend from the gym, she and I went door to door to um, small businesses here and gave them pamphlets, gave them information about what their rights were. And they were very grateful. But I think a lot of people were afraid. So there, when you have an authority figure, somebody in a uniform coming to your establishment saying, we're going to fine you $10,000 because you are not, you know, asking for people's pa people's papers at the door, people just get afraid. And we explain to them, look, even if they give you this citation or whatever it is, it's illegal. So if you go to court with this, it's going to get kicked out. But a lot of people were scared. They didn't know, like, what happens if I go and they they make me pay ten thousand dollars, or you know, people think I've got to set aside time out of my day to go to court. I don't want to deal with this. Um, but yeah, it was a thing where even if you would tell people what was going on they were just so programmed to listen to what they were being told on tv and again when you see somebody on television there's a power there's it's a hypnotic machine and people are under hypnosis it's under mind control so they think to themselves what the, if the person on tv says it and the politician says it or the, the doctor says it it must be true even though there's there can be you can present them with information that says otherwise they are still programmed to go with what the authority figure says basically and, you know their experiments on this this is how people are so it takes a certain person to really step out of it and that's why i keep saying i think that part of the lockdown one of the positive things was for me anyway it really helped me to recalibrate and really take stock of who was in my life because like i said when i was finding out information and sharing information the people who were receptive and open or who were also getting you know doing the same thing the people who were completely closed down didn't want to know anything all they wanted to do was follow what they were being told and so my circles have become a lot smaller now as a result and i'm fine with that you're listening to savage minds and we hope you're enjoying the show please consider subscribing we don't accept any money from corporate or commercial sponsors, and we depend upon listeners and readers just like you. Now, back to our show. Now, since December, we've been getting a slew of information, thanks to some wonderful journalists mm -hmm. who have been looking into the Twitter files, and we know much more. And this is nasty. This makes Joseph McCarthy look like kids play. We had many agencies within the U.S. government elbowing big tech to shut down accounts, to shut down transferring of certain messages. This is evil because isn't the point of our Bill of Rights and the First Amendment that the freedom of speech only means something if it's wrong? We're not protecting correct freedom of speech. We're protecting all freedom of speech. And what they were able to successfully do is say that your speech is dangerous. Now, I'll tell you something. I was a bit shocked. I'm going to say it right now. The first guest on this podcast in 2020 was Noam Chomsky. Wow. And we've been in touch since 9-12, okay? I was really so excited to speak to him. And when I hit the subject of lockdown, I wanted to cry. I was very sad. This is my hero <laughs> advocating for the most fascistic, draconian madness. And I thought, I mean, mm -hmm. seriously, I mean, the Makula was like, seriously, I can't have this image destroyed but it, it was because mm -hmm. uh, we were all imperfect i guess everyone has their blind sides but his blind side was huge because some of the right. things he said and i've read in other articles or interviews was basically who cares who what happens to people who didn't take the vaccine they'll have to fend for themselves i'm thinking whoa and this is what's happened to the left so now we've got all this information 
And I don't know if this has happened to you, all those people that unfriended you or that were very vocal on your wall and they didn't unfriend you, but they haven't said a thing. This is what's happened to me. All those people who were like, oh, but I'm an overnight immunologist and I read USA Today once and, and now they're shutting up and they're not responding to all the evidence that we were right. Right. Well, I mean, I've, I have doctors and nurses in my family. And like I said, for me, I, 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 I'm constantly striving to always remember the more I know, the, the more I don't know. And I'm, I'm constantly trying to get new information and keep challenging myself to keep questioning things. So again, <clears throat> when this was going on in my gut, I'm like, I don't agree with this. I something's wrong, but I continue to listen to both sides. So I have a, my uncle's a neurosurgeon and I would send him information from credible doctors, epidemiologists, people like that, microbiologists who were talking about things. And, you know, he always, he would read it, but he would always have a, a response that would be counteracting what they were saying. Even though for me, if you're coming from an impartial place, there's some things that you, that you can't deny, you know, and sometimes his go-to would be, well, I'm not an epidemiologist. So even with the masking, when first the masking came out, again, I'm not a doctor. Um, I was following it until I started to do more research. And that A, masks, A, don't work. But also, they affect your cognitive sk skills over time if you're constantly restricting you know, your, your, your oxygen flow. But on top of that condition of hypoxia, if you have a pre-existing condition, if you're masking yourself and breathing in your own CO2, it can reignite whatever your issue is. So if you're like, for example, a cancer survivor, the worst thing you can do is put a mask on because that could actually reactivate you know, your previous condition. So the masking is not just a harmless, you know, aesthetic thing. Like it, it's can it can do harm to you in addition to not stopping the spread. And I, so my thing was the more I did research on that, they talked about well, doctors wear masks during operations because they don't want to maybe spit into an open wound, but that's really it. And even now, the, some doctors aren't even doing that. So when I was talking to my my um my uncle about you know what I was reading about the masking, he counteracted with oh the same like basically the same rhetoric that you see on tv and then i realized he's getting all of his information from what he's seeing on tv and even though i'm sending him other information from literally you know credible doctors who are saying the complete opposite and giving you know giving backing it up with research that's been around for decades to support it but now all of a sudden 2020 this this research is now null, null and void people were still indoctrinated they still were indoctrinated. I think part of it is also is you go to medical school for how many years, you pay all this money, you're sleep deprived. It's a form of, again, a, a little bit of brainwashing where you feel like I don't want to believe that my training and expertise and all that was all, you know, was was for not. I don't I don't want to believe that now my profession has been is tainted or so there's a lot of resistance for a lot of different reasons. But I, I think that the important thing is we always have to keep growing as people. You know, you can't be so arrogant to think that you know everything and that, to think that you're the end all and be all. So, again, even even though I've been following alternative, I don't even like to say alternative. I just say, you know, basically, you know, non-mainstream, um, you know, professionals, 
I still, you know, make sure I question. I'm like, okay, well, this person says this. Let me check with other, other, other resources, other articles, other videos, other, you know, let, you know, I, I just think it's important to always be open-minded in that way and to form your own conclusions based on your research information and your instincts. Like I said, your instincts are very important and they're there for a reason. And I think a lot of people ignored their instincts, especially during this time and were fear-mongered and they went against their instincts. Because I know people who, you know, did comply and they wish they didn't. They really didn't want to, but they wanted to keep their job or, you know, they were stressed. They were, you know, they were basically bullied into it. And now they're looking back on it and wishing that they had stood up for themselves. And my attitude is if we all stood up for ourselves, whether you complied or not, you should stand up for human rights and, and freedom of choice and bodily autonomy. That should be something that everybody fights for. So no matter what your choices are, it should be your choice. And um, I think that's the problem. It became this us against them, the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. And it shouldn't be like that. It should be like, well, if you choose to do it or not, that's okay. And we should be fighting for that because today it's a vaccine or fake vaccine or whatever you want to call it. Today it's it's something like that that maybe you want to do. Tomorrow it might be something you don't want to comply with, but then you're forced. So one day it's going to be on your doorstep. So we all need we all need to be together in this fight. And we weren't. And now, like with the SAG strike, you know, now we're all not working. Um, and that's why I'm fighting to get to to be a part of you know making some change and make and be and representing all members that's what i keep saying we're if we're all in this together we should be listening to everybody and trying to make the best decisions that will benefit everybody not just a select few or a select uh, 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 not a select few not just a certain population of the membership because we're pushing an agenda and those people are a part of that it should be considering everybody involved and um Outside of the medical mandates, there's extreme corruption in our union with the, um, the our pension plan was robbed of two million dollars some years ago. And the person that did it was never went to jail. They um, there was there was a closed door deal made where they basically you know, obviously didn't work there anymore, but they never went to jail. There were no charges, but they actually had to they were charged with tax evasion for not paying taxes on the money they stole, which is crazy. Um <laughs> No, I mean, you know, you can't make this it's stuff like up. It's like a Joel and Ethan Cohn film. <laughs> exactly. So you have that going on, and then, and then also during the previous um, uh, president, they decided that they would um, change the residual, the eligibility for health insurance. So basically, what happened was. Uh, 8,200 seniors were thrown off their health, um, their health insurance, because it used to be that you know if you you know you're an older person you're not working anymore, but you have residuals from some old TV show. The residuals that money would go towards you making your nut to get your insurance. Well, they decided that they didn't want to do that anymore because they wanted to get save money. So all these seniors, like I said, 8,200 of them were kicked off their health insurance because even though they were making money and residuals, that those points or those dollars did not go towards their the eligibility to get health insurance. So I don't understand why anybody would vote for something like that, but I certainly would not. And I would be in the room fighting for seniors and fighting for everybody. So, and we need to get proper negotiations. People go in and the deals that we've gotten have been really horrible. And now we're in the situation where streaming, streaming has been terrible. The streaming deals we get for that. I mean, some, you know, people see people on TV shows and they think, they think they're making all this money and it's not like the old days where you're on a network show and you're, you know, getting some resist. Now it's like everything's streaming. There's all these different um, places where it can be shown and the money does not reflect it. So, 
you, I'm sure you've heard the stories where, you know, the big celebrities we're talking about, they're getting checks for 80 cents. I mean, some people are getting checks for like zero, zero, like zero money, but you get issued a check. I mean, I haven't gotten anything that that's that low, but I've definitely have, you know, I'm not getting the, the kind of money that you would think for the work that I've been doing. Um, so it's been really challenging. And I think that I had a conversation with an actor friend of mine who I was talking to him about my candidacy and he's very supportive, but he pointed out, he says, well, we're in the middle of a strike. You know, maybe people don't want to switch leadership because we have Maya Gilbert Dunbar, who's running, who's going to be running against Fran Drescher. And, um, and I'm going to be aiming to unseat the current New York president who's had this seat for 10 years. Um, so he was feeling like, well, maybe because there's a strike, people will be reluctant to change, you know, to change leadership. I said, but, the leadership has not been working. So why would we keep the same people in place, you know, who have been doing the same bad deals, who have been who've been not acting with honor and integrity or transparency? Because when they were negotiating um, for our new contracts, they wouldn't tell it. They never released a pattern of, of uh, demands. We didn't know what they were going in for. They released a video at some point and said, oh, we're in there fighting for you, um, but it's very confidential. So we never knew what was going on behind closed doors. And then after afterwards, you know, we have our president, Fran Drescher, saying that she was wagging her finger at, you know, Bob Iger, head of Disney, and said, you're making $78,000 a year, a day, you know, you how dare you? And, and then basically metaphorically flipped the table and walked out of there. And I'm thinking, okay, so... So now we have no deal and now we're on strike. And then recently she said they're they're prepared to go to go to strike for six months. Oh, you're prepared. What about the rest of us? So the rest of the people who now are told they're not supposed to work unless you're again, like unless you're a Hollywood celebrity and then they're giving them, you know, waivers to work. Um, you're telling us that we might be unemployed for up to six months. You know, how is that acceptable? So I don't think that that's an issue switching leadership while this is going on, because we're here in this position because of leadership and the leadership that's been there for decades. So we need to unseat these people. We have Duncan Crabtree Ireland, who's the chief negotiator, who has makes over a million dollars his salary. Why is he getting over a million dollars? And then they just approved a, a pay increase for him. And this is and this is the this person. This is a salary for SEG. Yes. The chief negotiator. And this is somebody who was sued because of, uh, for uh, dereliction of fiduciary duties because of the whole thing of kicking the seniors off of their health insurance. He was behind that. And they won the lawsuit posthumously because Ed Asner led the lawsuit. He was an older actor, led the lawsuit. And he died, I believe, in 2020, 2021. And, you know, he won the suit after he died. So my question is, this person should not even still be working there after that. Wow. You know, but yet. Yeah, and he's the one that's been spearheading these mandates as well. Well, I remember Ed Asner from when I was a kid because the last yeah. major strike was when he was at the helm and he kicked ass. Well, the problem is that SAG is no longer run by actors. Right. You know, the members, like, you know, this guy, Duncan Crabtree Ireland, is a, a lawyer, I believe. And, um, you know, they don't have the empathy. They don't have the understanding. And to be honest with you, I just it just seems like they're lining their pockets and filling their coffers. They're they're not thinking about the average um, actor. They're not thinking about people who have, you know, families to feed. People are, are expected to strike now for six months. And you want us to stay loyal and, and, and just walk around the picket lines all summer. I mean, I see, you know, people are out there in the in the sweltering heat, screaming, carrying these picket signs. And you have Fran Drescher saying, well, we're, we're, we're in it for the long haul, six months. I mean, really? So what's the end game here? Like she went out, she walked out of there with no deal. 
and was bragging about how she told told those people off. But we have no deal now. So what does this mean? You know, AI is a big issue. People are worried about they're going to be replaced by AI. Well, okay, six months, that would give them plenty of time to replace us with AI. I mean, you know what I mean? I just feel like the it doesn't make any sense to me. It's not good negotiating. We need people that can negotiate well and understand what's going on. And we have Pete Antico, who's running for a secretary treasurer, who is a powerhouse. He's, he's a stunt, a veteran stunt man, and he's a finance guy. He knows all about negotiations. He's well aware of what's been going on with SAG for years. He's been fighting it, and he's very, he's released a six-part um, series video, breaking it down in layman's terms, what has happened to our union, why it's going on, why we are where we are now, and how we need to change, turn it around. Around. And I'm really, and I've been, you know, a bunch of us, we've been just putting the word out there, putting it out on social media. I really hope that people go to um, unionmembernews.com, which is where we're posting a lot of the videos and all the candidates around, across the country who are awake and who are, are pushing for change to get our union back into the hands of the members. And um, I have my way, website, namakula.com, where you can see my work, but I also have a page dedicated to my SAG um, can, uh, uh, candidacy. And I really just want to make change and make it a, a union to be proud of. I was so proud when I joined. I've been a member um, since 1999. And I was so excited when I finally earned my SAG card and was, you know, now a legitimate actor and booking voiceover work. And, you know, there was, it was a really exciting time. I mean, I was able to buy my apartment from a big voiceover job I had. Those days are over. Like those kind of jobs don't exist anymore. And that kind of money has changed. And I've been able to, you know, still work and I do other things. Like I said, I used to be a commercial editor for a long time. So once in a while I do some editing, but I also produce. Um, I have other skills. I have a lot of experience, you know, but it's exhausting. Like I, my goal was to, you know, just to be an artist, to be an actor, to be a voiceover artist, to produce, to write, to create, to, 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 that's my passion. And I feel like now it's happened. It's, you know, been cut off at the knees at every turn. And now we're bracing ourselves for, uh, you know, the next wave. What's ne what's next going to happen? If people reacted this way to the last couple of years, how they treated each other, how they ostracized people, how they complied, they buckled to mandates that weren't even laws. If something happens again, which, you know, there will be something again, because they keep talking about it. How are people going to react? Are they going to stand up? Are they going to comply with tyranny and hope it gets better? And I'm really praying that, you know, what's happened in these years and what's coming out now in the mainstream media will wake people up to what's been going on and for people to band together, you know, in this fight because we're all in it together. And it's not, um, you know, you turning on your neighbor or fighting amongst yourselves is not going to help anybody. And I think just we as a human society, we really need to focus on what's important and, you know, human connection and uplifting each other and inspiring each other and being there for each other. I mean, I'm a, a child of immigrants and I grew up, my mother's Jamaican, my father's from Uganda. And, and the, you know, you take, it's a, it takes a village, you take care of each other. You know, if you're, if you're, if you misbehave uh, and the neighbors will reprimand you and then you get home and your parents reprimand you, like that's how it was. Now people just like throw up their hands and walk away. And, you know, it's just really disheartening to see a lot of this stuff. And I'm very passionate about, you know, Mankind is my business. I don't think that we should just be turning a blind eye to injustice and to people that are being persecuted and unjustly and people that are being disenfranchised and marginalized and name calling. And I want to take the politics out of the union. Um, I, again, during this time, I realized how polarized it is with, you know, conservatives and liberals or Democrats, Republicans. It shouldn't be like that. Whatever your affiliation should not be included. We're all artists together. And that's what it should be about. And it should be about creating things that make the world a better place and create a connection and an emotional connection and uh, some upliftment for 
culture and society and the world. It should not be people fighting amongst each other and talking about, you know, political stances and all this other crazy stuff. The irony for me, Namakula, is that we're seeing this crisscross of left and right, where the right is now the more compassionate and class oriented. And the mm -hmm. left, the former left, I guess they've left their minds are neoliberal professionals. They're the managerial class. Those are the people who run universities, your union, all unions, and they're there to do the bidding for the man. It's been very eye opening. And, um, you know, I based and I try to talk to my mom about you know this my dad passed away some years ago and I always wondered what he would say because he was very intellectual and open and um, I remember he was years ago was he he would go to you know I was raised basically Democrat but he would go you know he would go to like Republican things and hear what people have to say and you know he'd be, he would listen to other things and he says to me you know it's always important for you to listen to other people which I wish I'd listened to him more years ago when he mentioned that um but anyway I I do feel like um you know, there's an attachment to it. Like when, when I was talking to my mom about stuff, she said something like, well, you know, a big part of her Jamaican culture is the Democrat thing. Like, you know, that's how that's embedded. In, that's baked into her upbringing. And I think that's a lot of people are are like that, whether you're Democrat or Republican or independent. It's kind of baked into how you were raised. And then it takes a lot for you to step out of that mold because, you know, it's something that it's almost like second nature. You don't think about it until maybe you're you're faced with a situation that forces you. And I think this situation in the last few years has forced a lot of people to look at things differently. And that's a good thing, I think. When Biden called this a pandemic of the unvaccinated, I was like, what the actual fuck? Well, you know what's funny about that? You remember he said, um, he looked into the camera and he goes, you know how he does that whispering thing sometimes <laughs> in the microphone? And he said, he said, um, he goes, get vaxxed or stay masked. And I remember laughing out loud because I was so angry, but I was also laughing that I'm like, okay, you sound like a fucking lizard um, and a demon. So you're actually revealing yourself. And it was actually funny because I'm like, at some points I get to I get to a point where I feel like, this is the craziest movie I've ever been in.